Hey, good. Hello, everybody. I was going to say good morning, but I don't know where in the world you are. I'm here in Denver, Colorado, uh, but so excited to welcome back Peter Greer, president and CEO of Hope International. Uh, and we all need more hope. But Peter, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Man, we first met when uh, I was just telling Peter this story. Uh, guys, if you haven't read the book, Mission Drift, a friend of mine started a Christian school. He wanted to create a classical Christian school, but he said, you know what? All the influences in the world, if we're really going to build a school that impacts lives and honors kids and really equips these children in their own faith and how to operate in the world, um, we are going to get pulled off course. So he had the entire board read the book, Mission Drift, and it is like their true north of just how to stay on track. And I was, I was able to share that with Peter. And it's so cool that this work that you did, how many years ago was, did you write Mission Drift? That would have been 2015 when it came out. All right. So think about that. Something you put together, you poured your heart and soul in seven years ago today is still impacting lives. And you know what, that is the power of all of us of actually, I think, understanding our relationship with the Lord. When he puts an idea, like when my book came out or, you know, you have an idea and, I'll, and like somebody reached out to me yesterday and, you know, well, it's been a year, but they just got the book. And, but what, here's what that means is little things that we do in our life. When we are understanding, it's not about us and what we do or how we do it. It's about just being obedient to these ideas and passion God puts on our heart. But here's a question though. What happens though? Over time, you're, you're putting in your work and you're trying to build a company, you have your passions and you're involved in maybe a cause in your city, whether it's homelessness or education or whatever it is, uh, hunger around the world, or you're trying to make a difference in your community, or you're trying to grow a church. And you're like, you know what, this is not the outcomes that I envision. I don't think this isn't the vision that I think God gave me. And all of a sudden, like, Peter, I don't know if you can relate to this, but you start getting frustrated. And I know in times like that for me, and I pray and I pray and I pray, and uh, part of my response is, you know what, maybe I need to work harder. Maybe I need to do more. Can you guys see already just in that thought pattern right there, I'm already getting off track, right? What I needed to do in these times, these inflection points in my life is to lean into the Lord and abide in his word and seek wise counsel more so that I can see God's direction in this. Uh, but all of a sudden you get to this place and, and all of a sudden I'm just disillusioned with the impact I can have with the, maybe my capability to lead. Am I even the right person for this job that I find myself in? And I'll tell you this, if you guys look at scripture and you hear that self-talk, here's what I've come to realize, Peter, that is not how the father talks to us. When we're hearing that stuff, and I believe right now there's an awakening happening in the body of Christ, and the enemy is trying to do everything he can, he only has to do two little things to sidetrack us from being incredibly effective and say, either I'm not good enough, or I am not ready to do this work. If I can even introduce little seeds of doubt, I, I, Peter, my, my son came home the other day and he was frustrated with baseball and the baseball season, the senior year was not going well. And he came in and he was shaking his head and he said, dad, 
I'm just not good enough. And I'm like, dude, you know, I'm the positive, encouraging guy. But my wife heard something in that. She goes, you know, hey, John, I think this is a spiritual attack. I think Matthew is, is getting sidelined by the enemy because of his personality, his faith. And so I jumped into coach mode, Peter, and I went to my son and I said, hey, buddy, what, what, what is good enough? And he couldn't, he absolutely could not define it. I said, would it be being the number one player in the state? Would it be getting a D1 scholarship? Would it be getting a Cy Young award in the majors someday? Like he couldn't define good enough. And what I realized is some of these little attacks that just read to completely being disillusioned, being frustrated, being, you know, just saying maybe this is not the road for me is, you know what? So we prayed into that and broke that attack that was on him. And I got to tell you, it was transformational. So you just came out with a book and I'm really, uh, well, you're all about hope, which I love, Peter, because that was my, the superpower God gave me to get through my recovery and my whole accident. And uh, the book is called The Gift of Disillusionment. Think about that, folks. I'm disillusioned. I'm frustrated. And Peter's telling me it's a gift because here's what it's all about, right, Peter? It's this enduring hope for leaders that we need after that idealism that romantic phase uh, fades. So with that, I would just love your thoughts on what brought you to the point of saying, you know what, this is a topic uh, because man, I have been in this spot that you're talking about multiple times in my life, but what made you say, okay, we got to focus on this right here because people need help. Thanks, John. And you know, Really, I, I love the work that I do with Hope International. I, I truly love the work around the world, investing in families, helping entrepreneurs thrive, sharing the hope of Jesus as we help them create jobs in communities of poverty around the world. I found out about this tool when I was studying in Russia in the mid-90s, and it really had been my career of trying to invest in places of poverty and bring the hope of Christ. And there are so many things that I continue to love about my job, but uh, this is hard work. Um, and you do any job long enough and you realize uh, there are all kinds of challenges that you do not see when you initially get involved. And so really hitting some of these significant walls. Um, and then also on a personal front, on a, on a family front, uh, my wife and I were convicted by just a number of kids in our local community here in Pennsylvania that uh, were waiting for a home in foster care. And so we jumped in as a family and said, we've got space, we've got room, we've got love, let's open our doors. And turns out that journey has been far more difficult, far mm. more complicated than we ever could have imagined. And so really it was about 2019, hitting some of these walls, both on the professional front, as well as on the personal front, and asking a question of how does anyone keep going when there are really good and valid reasons to give up? How does anyone keep in this, as Eugene Peterson says, this long obedience in the same direction? And it doesn't matter if you are in business and you've reached that pinnacle of success or you are, are thinking that switching from a corporate career to a nonprofit doesn't matter or the journey of philanthropy, you're going to hit these moments when you jump in and you have this certain expectation, you have this certain idealism about what it is going to be like. And then you jump in and you realize this is far more complicated than I ever could have imagined. And so really hitting some of those issues personally and uh, with my colleague, Chris Horst, and 
and really starting to say, how does anyone sustain a lifetime of service measured in decades, not in years? And then we did similar to the methodology of mission drift. Let's find those exemplars. Let's find those individuals that have found out a way to hold on to hope even though they had very good and valid reasons to give up or to give in to cynicism and try to understand what is it that really sustains that lifetime of service. So that was really what brought us to the writing process of trying to understand what is it that sustains a lifetime of service when idealism fades, when you hit that moment of discouragement or disillusionment, how do you continue and how do you hold on to an enduring hope? Well, I love that. And, you know, as you do, you know, part of the best part of this book is you make it come so alive by bringing in real stories all across the world from you read the stories, you're like, oh, my goodness. Well, if they got through that, it's a bit of a wake up call because, boy, I'm not even struggling with half of what they're going through. And there's going to be other people that go, wow, they have it as bad as me. But they found a way to just keeping those small steps forwards. But I, I know those places of disillusionment, man, where you just, you're questioning yourself. You almost feel like a failure. You're almost, you're at the point like, what's the point? Like, seriously, what's the point? And should I just pivot? And you're talking about being in that place as a gift. And as you thought through this, what, what had you kind of land on that as a gift? Yeah. And just one one kind of piece, John, is you're exactly right. This feeling of disillusionment, there is more and more data that is coming in, even after the book was was launched, about study after study in a variety of sectors that does say this is a moment of so much disillusionment. And in some ways, it feels kind of tragic that the topics that we write about, it does feel like this is a moment when there is a lot of disillusionment. Um, there was a study that was done by the American Psychological Association, and it found that almost 50% of teachers are daydreaming about switching either job, career, or school where they work. Um, healthcare, it's similar. Almost 50% are thinking about that transition. How do I get out of this? And, and a Barnapole uh, that looked at pastors, 38% are actively dreaming about how to, to exit. And so this has been a season. There has been a lot of disillusionment, a growing sense. But the reason why we called it uh, a gift um, is because we believe this is the pivot point in every leader's journey, that idealism will inevitably fade. There will become this moment of disillusionment. And the reason that it's a gift is because it really is that invitation to try and go inward. Let's grit it out. Let's use our own strength. Let's try to figure it out. Or it's a moment to actually read the end of some of our abilities and to say, God, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. And really, uh, the book is framed around stories from leaders from around the world that reach that moment. And it's their words, not mine, their words that say that was the turning point. Reaching the end of my ability was actually the beginning of a lifetime of healthy service. When I stopped going in, when I reached the end of my abilities and I say, God, unless you show up, I am sunk. And really looking from the global leaders, they kept talking about this curious prophet, this curious, curious Old Testament prophet that actually has penned more words in the Bible than anyone else, but the prophet Jeremiah. And you want to talk about someone who had everything go wrong. I mean, he faced all kinds of challenges at a national level. Um, he had this calling to be a prophet of the nations, and yet nothing went according to what he would have hoped or expected. 
that went along with that. Um, left for dead, assassination plots, humiliated, mocked, watched his beloved homeland and nation fall to the Babylonians. And he's experiencing all of this. And yet in the midst of that, he still does talk about a hope and a future. But Jeremiah 17 is this crazy, crazy part of the book that I think really gives a glimpse into how he was able to sustain his service. But, but Jeremiah 17, it really looks at these two very different and contrasting pictures. It says, Jeremiah 17, verse 5, it says, you know, cursed is the one who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. It's like, cursed are those who say, I'm going to grit it out. I'm going to be resilient enough. I've got what it takes to get through this. That that is not the way to live. Yeah, and it's, I, it's gonna I'm going like to make this tumbleweed. happen. Right, right. I mean, it's what you were talking about earlier, right? The focus of the inward, I am going to get through this. But then it gives this contrasting picture and it says, uh, but blessed is the one you trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And it gives this beautiful word picture that even in times of drought, there still is going to be fresh fruit. There still are going to be leaves that stay green. And that is what I believe we've seen over the last few years. There has been drought conditions, and yet there are these individuals that seem to have leaves that stay green, that seem to have figured out a way to hold on to a joyful and expectant hope, even in the midst of crazy difficulties. And uh, I think really that's why this moment is a gift, because it can either drive us inward, which inevitably leads to our cynicism or discouragement or burnout, or it drives us upward and says, God, I need you, my hope, my strength, my future, it is all in you. So they figure out what it looks like not to turn inward, but to go upward. And we believe that is what then sustains that lifetime of service. I love what you're saying here. Let me kind of summarize what I heard the gift is. And I'd, and I'd love to hear your take. Here's the gift. It's like what happened to me you know, my life, I was working harder and harder and harder and doing more. And I was on the boards of nonprofits. I started a nonprofit. And 10 years ago, before my accident, I would describe where I was of a place of smoldering discontent. I would absolutely say with using your language, I was disillusioned. Like, hey, I have I have done what everybody told me to do to be successful and all this stuff. And I should be happy. And I'm miserable. And the gift, uh, mine, you know, I, I had to go through my accident, but the gift was understanding that I was trying to do it and that God had another plan. The first thing God said to me at the accident when I was in his presence, and I'll never forget it, was all things work together for those that love the Lord. But, you know, the other thing he said to me at the end of the conversation, it's the last thing he said to me, and he said this with a, like a joy or a mirth in his voice. It was not a rebuke because you'll recognize the scripture. And that was, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, as soon as he said that, I knew my left eye was permanently blind. But as I recovered these bookends of this conversation, I put together, and what it did, it honestly created a roadmap for me to... Um, seek and, and more fully understand the nature of God and to learn, it was a process, to trust him in everything. And when I put those together and said, hey, everything works together and the Lord's going to give, the Lord's going to take away. But if you are blessing and serving the Lord, right, and serving or waiting, I, I see, you know, it says wait on the Lord. I, but I always think of like a waiter, right? That's an active position of serving. If I'm constantly serving God, what he's going to do is say, you know what, 
It's not about me and what I can accomplish. It's about every day seeking God to reveal his will and just ask him simply, what can I do to partner with you in what you're doing? And in that, I've been able to get through some really, really over the last decade, very challenging things in my life. But here's a question for you, though. Somebody's out there listening or they're reading the book and they're like, you know what, Peter, you, you just described me. I'm there right now. I either just gave up. I already made the decision and I've pivoted and I left the ministry and I'm and I just got a job or whatever it happens to be. Uh, or I'm just about to. What are some of those things as you've been working with people that allows them to, to maybe reconnect to see the gift that's, you know, the the grace that's in this grind that they're in right now. Yeah. And I mean, for those individuals that are in those spaces, and according to a lot of what I'm reading, uh, it really is about one out of every two are in a season of disillusionment or discouragement. So, uh, so half our uh, audience you are right not now, alone. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're speaking to half our audience right now and the other half know somebody. So <laughs> Uh, exactly. Or they will be, or they were. Uh, my guess is this hits close to home for everyone at some point in the journey. I don't think we get through this this life. And actually, that's one of the very uh, rarely quoted promises of Jesus, that in this life, you will face difficulty. There will be challenges. You will face problems. And not many people really uh, claim that verse as their life verse, that in this life, <laughs> you will have trouble. But Jesus said to his disciples, and it's what he says to us, uh, but again, that beautiful part that it continues, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Um, and so I guess the first thing that I would say is don't minimize the pain that you're in and the challenges. Do the exploration of what really are those dreams that maybe have died? What are those illusions? Maybe I had an illusion of certainty or predictability. Maybe I had certainty that I could kind of engineer my own circumstances. And maybe that's the illusion that it's starting to be forced through circumstances that you're being forced to let go. And so I would just say, understand, don't, don't just gloss over that. Like, what is it at its source that is causing that discontent or disillusionment or discouragement? Because I think if we don't understand problem, it's real hard to then figure out. So what is the solution um, on that? But for me, one of the things that I realized is that right now, especially over the last couple of years, I think there is a danger in doom scrolling. There is a danger that if we're not careful, all of what we're listening to, all that we're feeding is bad news after bad news after bad news. Look at this uh, failure. Look at this rise and fall of this organization. Look at this reason why we should be discouraged or disillusioned or cynical. And I guess the big piece uh, that I would say is, yes, all of that is true, and there's plenty of reasons, but the real uh, joy of this uh, writing project was intentionally silencing uh, the doom scrolling and saying, let's find the counterfactual. Let's find those other examples, because there are incredible stories. And so if you're in that spot where it seems like there's just so much discouragement, disillusionment, I would say maybe the starting point is let's turn off those flows for a time. Let's go back to scripture. Let's realize why we have a hope that is independent of circumstance. Let's go back to what we know is true about this life, what we know about God's presence, what we know about the full and complete story of what God has been doing and is doing and will do in our world. 
And then let's surround ourselves with some stories of individuals that have been faithfully pursuing that call. Um, and let's spend time in community with others that still have found a way to hold on to hope, uh, that don't gloss over the difficulty or discouragement. But I think we've got to break the, the constant diet of doom and gloom and, and all of the challenges and find again what we know to be true in scripture and those examples, those exemplars of individuals that are maybe oftentimes silently, but faithfully living it out. And just one quick example. So our foster care journey, I mean, it was tough. Uh, it was the hardest thing that has ever hit our family. And yet in the midst of that, uh, met Anne that had been doing foster care for her entire life. She had over a hundred children in her home and having lunch with her was the turning point. When I started asking questions of, Anne, how do you keep going? Like, what is it in your perspective, in your approach that allows you to keep loving? And she had stories that were worse than mine of what had happened. And, and so there's something about being invited into the story of what God is doing and mm-hmm. invited into the story of others who have had that long obedience in the same direction that I believe, yeah. What did she share with you, Peter? Yeah, you know, there were a couple things uh, that she shared that really stood out for her. And then again, the whole book was stories like Anne of, of trying to pull out some of these principles. Uh, but the first thing was this recognition that um, she was not trying to muster or grit or manufacture a love for these children on her own. She said, I cannot love unless I receive God's love and then share that love with the kids. So she went to the source. And in many ways, that's what Jeremiah said, too. We got to go back to the source. We cannot grit it out. Uh, And in our culture, we kind of think we have this idolization of grit as, uh, you know, the way that if we're just resilient enough or if we just muster enough grit. and, And again, Jeremiah 17 says that's the wrong way to do it. Go to the source. So that was the first thing that she shared constantly, regularly go back to the source, receive, and then share. The second thing that she shared uh, was um, in the midst of all of those challenges to hold on to those precious moments of breakthrough where you see it happening, to know that it is not guaranteed or promised, but to actually have the habit and discipline to not just pay attention to the moments of discouragement, but to look back at a life and to say, look at those incredible breakthroughs, look at those moments when the system did work as it was intended, where God's love did break through, where a child's life was changed. And to, again, not just look at the negative. And then the third piece about, and don't try to do this solo. Life is not a solo sport. Uh, life is meant to be lived. And she talked about the community that came alongside her, especially in those moments, showing up with uh casseroles and, and friendship um, uh, in the midst of the challenges as well. So what is the community of people that we have uh, made those covenants? Like, let's do life together. So anyway, I could go on, but uh, in many ways, that was really the, the, the process of the book is what are those principles that sustain a lifetime of service and are in many ways the antidote to disillusionment and cynicism? Well, yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to put an exclamation point on something you said earlier, as I've gone through this journey in hope, right? Like Romans 15, 13 is something I kept coming back to because as, as I didn't know if tomorrow might be better or next week or next month, like you're really in that, the bottom of the valley, but right. Here's what it says. Now may the God of hope 
Now, guys, th- th- this isn't an adjective. This isn't a adverb. This is a noun. God of hope, fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to share with everybody what God revealed to me, what is corrosive to hope, what destroys hope is negativity. And you know what? We are filled with it in the world. And I love what you said. I think, what do you call it? Death scrolling. And uh, you know what? I read a survey. This is where this came to light to me is it doesn't matter what news channel, CNN, Fox, whoever it is, 88% of their topics are negative. If you look at the world news, BBC, even Al Jazeera, it's only 50% negative, And then local news is in the 40s. But think of that. So you know what I did is I had to turn off things that were negative. I'm a news junkie. I love to be informed, but I also realized that letting all of this stuff in was the enemy using the world to completely sideline me because, man, I would get negative and critical and be like, what's the point? And I just want you guys to know hope, hope is the hope in Christ um, is a certainty. It's not wishful thinking, and it is a superpower. And to amplify that inside of you, like Peter said, man, you just, you got to make a choice to say, okay, I'm just, I tell you what, folks, just go on a, a fast for one week, social media and the news, and just let me know how you feel a week from now. I think the difference is going to be so stark and extraordinary. They're going to be like, okay, I'm going to make a permanent change here. So uh, I'll just throw that out there as a challenge. Now, I love this story. What what are some, I, I know you interviewed some amazing people and you have a lot of personal history in this spot. Any other stories that as you interviewed people for this that uh, that jump out at you? Uh, I mean, that was the the point. And John, it was, it was uh, again, the timing of this. Starting this project in 2019. Uh, <laughs> That's a good point, I, I right? You were God. thinking about all this when everything got, everything went Wonky. Right, right, right. And so for, you know, the work that I do with Hope International, operating in places around the world, we are founded in Ukraine and uh, have been dealing with the invasion right now. So discouraging to watch what's happening to our friends uh, in Ukraine. Um, Haiti, uh, when you look at the earthquake and the assassination of the president and the rise of gang violence, there's so much discouragement. And then Kind of when the world shut down, that impacted the most vulnerable, the families served by Hope International. And and so there has been a series of, for me, the biggest challenges uh, that we've ever faced as an organization. And I think this was God's grace being poured out uh, to have this uh, writing project start in 2019, uh, knowing all that was going to happen and to spend time intentionally seeking out and listening to stories from our global brothers and sisters, some in the U.S., some around the world, about those individuals that have had, um, yeah, just faced all kinds of challenges and yet found a way to hold on to hope. But early on, um, one of the foundational kind of interviews was with Reverend Farai. Uh, He's in Zimbabwe, and I had lived in Zimbabwe before and knew some of the challenges. I mean, talk about uh, inflation. They faced hyperinflation where the prices were doubling every 24 hours for a period of time. And that just decimated um, the poor. But on top of that, then the corruption of those in power, Robert Mugabe. And so uh, he is standing up and trying to be a faithful witness to Christ in the midst of economic, political uh, corruption, so many challenges. And uh, he actually lost his home because he did that. He lost his church 
And uh, there was a time when he would be showing up to church and he would, everyone would show up. He said with two things, they would show up with their Bibles and they would show up with wet cloths because they were expecting that they were going to get tear gas thrown in when they were worshiping on Sunday mornings on that. So he is facing all kinds of challenges. And yet he is the one that said in the midst of that, you know what we preached? We kept preaching uh, from the book of Jeremiah. What does it look like to be faithful uh, when it feels like the world is falling apart? What does it look like to be faithful even when it feels like we are in exile? What does it look like to learn from that example um, and to say, again, there, there is a hope, there is a future um, as we are remaining faithful in the midst of everything falling apart? So he really was just one that embodied that and, and really pointed us to Jeremiah as a very relevant Old Testament prophet that has a lot to teach the church today that feels like we are facing some pretty big challenges. So he's one that stands out. But again, the great thing was just the themes that he shared in Zimbabwe were echoed in Guatemala, were echoed in Poland, were echoed in Detroit, were echoed around the world about these themes, about a rooted hope that, uh, yeah, as you said, like, I love that verse in Romans. It ultimately is an expression of the Holy Spirit's work uh, in us and in the world. Uh, but it is real, um, and it does make a difference. For those that are discouraged or disillusioned, oh, I just, I pray, similar as what Paul wrote, that we might hold on to that true hope um, in the midst of all we're facing right now. Uh, unfortunately, we gotta we got to wrap up soon, but it's the gift of disillusionment. And where can they connect with you uh, find out more about everything that you're doing, the book, Hope. It's hopeinternational.org. But where else can they find out more about you in the book? Yeah, and we had some friends that uh, did something that I think is pretty fun. But uh, some friends took the content of the book, turned it into a survey, and uh, makes it real easy to kind of get the initial diagnostic of where are you in the journey from idealism to disillusionment to cynicism to hope. And so if you go to thegiftofdisillusionment.com, that's probably the best place to go to learn more about the book and to take that real simple survey to figure out where are you on the journey. But then for anything uh, related to me, uh, peterkgreer.com is a place to get more connection as well. But thegiftofdisillusionment.com, hopeinternational.org, and peterkgreer.com as well. Okay, awesome, guys. Connect with Peter. Trust me, you will be gooder big time by just connecting in with Peter and what they're doing. And we need to do a whole podcast just on what you're doing at Hope International. Our audience is a bunch of entrepreneurs need to really understand, talk about taking uh, uh, an impact in the world with, through leverage in the world of business, finance, and entrepreneurism. But that's a whole nother conversation. But folks, go check out Hope International. But with that, maybe as, as, as we kind of land here, you know, in this as you went through this, right? You went through, you know, COVID leading this organization that's having impact in millions of lives. You're you're seeing real life on the ground, not only just COVID, but wars and conflicts. And, you know, my part of my family is from Ukraine and our heart is just going out to people, whether it's across the street, you know, in the other part of the of town to Ukraine, to Zimbabwe. And you know, through this, is there anything that you came up with that are just some 
practices, habits, changes you made that helped you with this? Or is there any other way that maybe you just want to, just some final thoughts you can leave with everybody who's been listening to the conversation? Yeah. And in some ways, John, I do think there are concrete, healthy practices that have changed my outlook. And the, the great irony is I think you get a whole lot more grit and resilience as fruit, not as source. So I think that doing some of these things actually allow us to be much grittier, much more resilient uh, by not actually focusing on them first, but focusing on some other things that then lead to more grit and resilience. So there is a long list of things, but I think just the first thing that comes to mind in today's world, and it relates to what we were already talking about, uh, but I, I just, let, let's just do one final encouragement. Uh, take a time from the doom scrolling Take a time from all the negativity, um, repurpose that time, get engaged with scripture, engage with stories of long-term faithful obedience. And if you haven't ever done this, find those individuals that have loved and served, doesn't matter what sector, if it's church or business, doesn't matter where, and ask them, what has sustained your service? Replace some of those stories of of failure with those stories of long-term faithfulness and listen and learn. And I think we need more of those stories in this moment of time when we're being bombarded with all that is wrong, all the negativity. Let's find those stories that have not been told enough of long-term hope. And let's try to understand what is it that has sustained the service. And then let's learn and then put into practice some of the things. So again, I could share a whole litany of things that I've changed as a result of this, but I do feel like the challenges have not gone away that we face around the world but hope uh, is on the rise in my heart, and I just long for it to be, um, yeah, more hope, less cynicism. I believe that's what we need from leaders today. Wow, what a what a powerful statement! You know, I remember because now that you reminded me, you said that you know when you talked to that woman who'd really persevered through foster care, you said it was a turning point for you and your wife. And think about that, folks. If we can reach out and find somebody who's a few steps ahead of us, who's been through some of these cycles and we have that community and we can be in relationship. We can also, you know, help each other. And you know what? I think uh, uh, if you are disillusioned, don't go find somebody else who's also disillusioned and you're going to sit there and just commiserate about, boy, we wasted 10 years of our life doing something. No, if you're really disillusioned, go find somebody that persevered through it and um, is somewhere on the other side. It doesn't mean that they've made it, but they, there may be a step or two ahead of you. And I, and I got to tell you, for me, that has kept me grounded, uh, rooted in my faith. And uh, sometimes you just need that courage tomorrow to just take one more step. And if I could focus on these little day tight compartments for me, that's what moved me back into partnership with the father uh, but Peter, thank you. Oh my gosh, you are just awesome. Uh, every time we talk, I just, I'm energized and love what you're doing. And if there's anything at all, this entire community can do to serve and support you forward. Anybody out there, if you're looking for uh, a great speaker to come in for your event, your organization, uh, let me know. We'll get you connected with uh, Peter's team. So everybody uh, just, man, keep knocking them alive out there. Uh, trust in God. Keep hoping and, and, you know, just embrace the fact that we can trust God, even when some of the things to our human mind might not make sense. How's that? That is something I've had to learn. 
All right, Peter, with that, buddy, uh, you're the best. Thanks, John. So much fun to connect again. Thank you, thank you.